I recently said that a mark of a good podcast guest is somebody who does most of the talking. And I said that after Jay McAdam visited the, the show a few weeks ago, because that's exactly what happened. He did most of the talking. I could genuinely just sit back and enjoy listening to him share his knowledge and experience. Now I've got a second mark of a good podcast guest, and that is somebody who leaves you smiling and feeling positive even a couple of hours after uh, your discussion. And that's exactly what happened with this week's guest. And the guest this week is Darcy Bowles, who is a future of work thought leader and culture architect. She used to work at Taxjar and Stripe as their head and director of remote. So surprise, surprise, we're going to be talking about remote cultures. But we're not going to go into the traditional why you should do the benefits and so on and so forth. We will touch upon that, of course, but our discussion will mostly circle and center around behavioral norms and values that organizations need to make remote working work for them and for their employees. We will also touch upon a topic that we both feel is not being discussed enough, and that is the profitability of remote setup. Topic that is particularly important considering the economic situation that we are in at the moment. At the end, Darcy also shares a very simple practice, an amazing practice that you can use, whether you're remote or not, to better connect with your employees or the people on your team. Here's my conversation with Darcy Bowles. Enjoy. We Got This showcases individuals and organizations that create people-focused workplace cultures to help it become the norm rather than the exception. It's something that will require a mindset shift and probably not something that any of us can do alone. But together, together, we got this. Bog standard, traditional first question for all guests. When you were little, what did you want to be or who did you want to be when you grew up? I wanted to be a cruise ship activities director. (laughs) <laughs> oh wow, that's a first. I've haven't had that before. Tell me oh, more. I Why? To be when I was a little kid, I have just always loved organizing activities, bringing people together. Hence, why I think I am in the remote culture world now. That somehow that translated to this. But I just thought that going all around the world on a giant floating building, getting to get people together for a walk on the deck, or go ex- helping them explore a new city or getting to experience new culture. They kind of wanted that facilitator. I just always thought that that would be the coolest job. I will tell you, I'm actually not the biggest fan of cruises after having been on one, but at age five, I don't think I knew the difference. Wow, I'm 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 really impressed because especially when you say age five, that's very specific. Not just what you wanted to do, <laughs> but where you wanted to do that. That's cruise ships as well. I have to say, I'm surprised and impressed at the same time. <laughs> I mean, what other vessel could take me to multiple destinations in a short amount of time, meeting so many different people at once? I guess you could. You, you could. The first thing that comes to mind for me is a plane, but then it's it's a couple of hours, but you don't have the ability. You don't really don't do entertainment or activities as such. You could right. be a stewardess, I guess. But I understand what you mean by it being a cruise ship because it's kind of a floating city and you're, you're kind of you go a city that moves all the time and you can live and do things as you would normally as yeah. you move from A to B. So I kind of, I get that. I get that. It's really, <laughs> yeah. really interesting. When did you give up on that idea? Was it when you decided that you're not a big fan of cruise ships or before that? I think it was before that. And I think part of that, I mean... I was a pretty hippie kid. I grew up, you know, wearing fairy wings and, but my parents are very traditional and I think I kind of lost 
in some ways, site of dreaming. When I had to go to college and I kind of like was in, you know, I graduated university in 2008. So it was the financial crisis in the U.S. And I'm one of the millennials that kind of has been through all of the unprecedented things of our generation. And so I think it was kind of at that time of I was I was operating more from a fear based space versus what could my opportunities of life be. And I will say, instead of becoming a cruise ship activities director, I just started traveling all around the world and working in hospitality, which sort of fit that need and understanding getting to understand different cultures, getting to go to a lot of different places. But I, I didn't necessarily have a one job on a floating city that held me there. And thank you for that, because you you managed to connect it. I always challenge myself to connect what people wanted yeah. to be to when what they do now. And you've connected that, as you said, you've traveled, yeah. you've done that remote element through the hospitality and kind of, and I'm, I'm glad that's worked out for you. There's there's a lot of things. Martin, for me, it didn't work out. Apparently, I wanted to be a policeman or a fireman, if I remember correctly. In a way, I am putting fires out, um, not literally, but figuratively, working with some clients individually and in and, and, and teams and organizations. So I guess, yeah, there's some sort of firefighting going on there. I guess, but that's a big stretch, big stretch. But hang on, so you're saying that, are you not an entitled millennial that you sh everything should be given to you as they often being portrayed? Well, we are being portrayed because we're, we're the same generation. I hope not. I mean, I love avocado toast, but it's definitely not the one thing presenting me from buying a house in Southern California. <laughs> <laughs> no, I do, I do laugh at that because the, uh, the, millennial, the millennial dilemma is an interesting one. And I think I, I noticed that in different countries in the UK, in the US, in Poland as well, where 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 is that coming from? How much of that is millennial problem as, as they describe it and where what's the origin? And I think it differs between countries because what yeah, it is. Yeah, I think that's very true. Yeah, how how it's described in the US and the UK is completely different to why the pro yeah. there's a problem in Poland. In Poland is the history, it's kind of communism and things like that. That is linked to that and the generational difference between right. people who own businesses, who run businesses, who manage people, and the workforce going into that, right? And I think that's the biggest gap. But we're not going to go down that route. That's <laughs> for a completely different topic. And but I what I am curious, you've already kind of alluded to to part of that, how you got into remote because you've you've worked in as head of remote or in different capacities as such for, for a number of years with some some big big companies and it's kind of always gone into that head of remote director of remote experiences and i'm curious how did you end up there what was the journey into into that sure there's 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 a couple different paths so one of the ones was i was you know here's the other red thread my love of travel i had never had an office job before i'd always worked in different capacities on projects on high-end hospitality. I, I love tourism. I think it's a fascinating industry. I love bringing people from different cultures together. So I guess it naturally makes sense that I started working at Airbnb in about 2014. So Airbnb started opening up fairly large offices in the U.S. And I took a role there, an amazing company, still got to travel. But one of the pieces that I really noticed about myself was that I was falling into some pretty unhealthy patterns, having to travel to and from San Francisco very often because my team was there. It was at no fault of the company. It was just the way the world worked at the time. And I was becoming incredibly unhealthy. I was going into debt because I wanted to live the San Francisco life, but I wasn't living there. I just wanted to belong. I was drinking three glasses of wine at the office at the end of the day because there was wine there. Like it was, I thought it was normal. I honestly thought it was normal. And 
sure, I guess it might be normal for some people, but it wasn't actually in like deep alignment with my own values. And again, not at the fault of anybody else. I just kind of molded the environment around me. And, and, and that's my own kind of self-awareness and, and or lack of, of it at the time. And I was really feeling like one of the things I love and loved about working in big tech and with such brilliant people from all over the world, but not having to be in an office was I loved solving hard problems with smart people. I was like, that that's like a really, really cool thing that you can do with a global company. But the one piece missing for me was that autonomy piece. Like I wanted to be able to do it in not a city. Like I, I get massive anxiety in San Francisco. I get massive anxiety trying to do a really challenging job in a space that is incredibly overly like sense like there's a lot of sensory stuff right there's a, there's cars there's cities I've got I've got to go around I got to fly there and I started to notice when I left like as the world around me calmed down and I say that because I moved to a very rural place in the mountains but I was still connected on the internet as that started to calm down I had so much more energy to solve hard problems and that's when I really took the kind of the turn into the fully remote world with TaxJar, which at the time was a 25-person SaaS startup saying, we have no office. We want to do this right. We're looking for a head of employee experience. And it's funny, you know, yes, I was their head of remote. But at the time, we didn't even call it that because we were already a remote functioning company. It, like, there wasn't even a point of being a head of remote because we literally just functioned as a remote company. So I was head of that experience. What is that experience as you function as a remote first company? And as the world started to see that, hey, remote actually might be more profitable, it might be better for our employees, it might be the way of the future, started to kind of help others understand that intentional piece of having someone in that position to really cross-functionally manage the remote employee experience. I'd, I'd like to ask a, kind of a more specific question because about the benefits of remote, you, you put remote work and benefits into Google and, you know, hundreds and dozens of articles are going to pop up. But what I'm really curious is something that we talked about off, off air. And that was what you mentioned about specifically, how do we set that up in terms of shared behaviors? And because I think that's where a lot of organizations struggle and we think, okay, we're going to go remote and everybody's going to be happy. But then few months down the line, a year down the line, it's all starting to come apart at the seams for whatever reason. And what is that glue holding people together or holding the remote setup together? Is it shared values? Is it shared behaviors? Is it norms? Is it the culture of the organization overall? Would you be able to shed a little bit more light on that? Absolutely. So, I mean, I think you said it all, but I would say it rolls up to culture, right? And culture is the collective consciousness of what a group of people says, feels, thinks, and does. So that includes past assumptions, that includes shared behaviors, that includes different belief systems that all come together. And it really is, you know, number one above anything else, it's trust. It's it's a hundred percent trust in a remote first organization. And it really, as you said, when companies start to unravel, a big part of that has to do with the organization has yet to codify the culture and the norms and really codify the framework so that when people onboard into an environment that may be foreign to them, 
into a company that may be remote, but maybe they're based in a different country than that employee is onboarding from. So there's actually a different cultural difference. It's now the responsibility of that hiring company to say, here's what behaviors are accepted here. Here's what behaviors are not accepted here. Here are the tools you're going to need to thrive. Here's what toler- here's what's tolerated. Here's what's not. Here are rituals and really baking things around that culture. And so people have a sense of grounding when they log in. They have a sense of what to expect. They're not just searching for 10 different calendars or who to talk to because that stuff hasn't been written down yet and updated, consistently updated as the company grows. This is not a one and done thing. Remote culture actually takes intentionality at every minute, every hour of every day to make sure that that solidification of environmental space is is growing with the company. And because I think expectation management is a is a, is a big thing that we often yes. underestimate. You, you've already mentioned that it's something that we you don't you know do once and you set and forget. No, it's something that's a living organism. You have to change that and evolve that as the company evolves. But making it a more of a specific example, you you used here about when somebody started with the organization and assuming that the the remote setup there is relatively robust to onboard that person to provide them all the all the tools that they need what's the realistic expectation of how long or what's your recommendation maybe based on your experience how long that onboarding process should last before somebody is kind of comfortable and when they can be let go to kind of do their own devices yeah i mean i think that's it's that's a tough question because it's going to really depend on if the individual has worked in a remote first capacity before. So I think it really does differ from individual to individual. I would say that if the if the company is set up for, you know, kind of I would say true remote work, a lot of permission, a lot of flexibility, there's the framework in place. I think, you know, onboarding process should be no shorter than a week and full time for a week. But I also think that that carries itself out to that in- individual probably taking at least six months to feel truly assimilated into the culture, into is it really OK if I can go for a bike ride in the middle of the day? Like what is actually permitted? Because people come into work organizations and especially remote with a lot of office baggage and a lot of trauma. And it's going to take them a while, obviously, dependent on their past to trust, no matter how many times they see it, to trust that this organization is actually behaving the way they say that they're behaving. Okay. Interesting that you say that six months, because for a lot of organizations, for a lot of individuals would be, as you said, kind of onboarding done in a week. Off you go. You should you should be fine, right? And this is, a, by the way, I'm just not just talking about remote sets. I'm just talking within an organization, even if they're oh, kind we, of co-located. It's ridiculous. it's ridiculous how little bit of time we spend on onboarding. 84, I think it was it was Gallup or Built-In that did this study. It's an employee that experiences great onboarding is 84% more likely to stay with a company for three or more three or more years. The cost savings on that is insane. Yeah. Yeah. I, I had a guest on here, or probably about a year ago now, who told me we were talking about salaries and how much it costs to lose an employee. And she said that on average is 300% of three times their salary if they leave within the first 12 months. So if you imagine that you've got an exec at, 
£80,000 or $120,000 a year times three. You lose that. That's that's a significant chunk of money for the organization to be literally just throwing Throwing away. away. You're throwing it away. And not only are you losing the financial piece, your culture has now been compromised. The trust has now been compromised. The energy that it takes to recruit that person on your recruiting team is now compromised. Like, this is not just a financial drop in the bucket. Like, this is actually a very serious business problem. Yeah, absolutely right. The knock and the knock on effect on productivity because yeah. that person not being in that role means everybody else, whether consciously or subconsciously, they kind of go, Oh, yeah, okay, this is going to stall. This is not going to happen because that person, until they start, we we can't move forward with this. So we'll kind of just tinker to pretend that we're doing something, but we're actually not going to move ahead until that person joins. And then it's two months after they kind of fully embed themselves in, then we can start. So, you know, month-long delays on progress on any type of work that we do. It's 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 astounding how this how this happens. It reminded me when you said about the onboarding person, we talked about that. It reminded me of my last job many, many years ago when I, when I was onboarded. If you can call it that. <laughs> I started, I don't remember what day it was, the week it was. I think it might have been a Tuesday. Basically, I was welcomed. I was shown my desk. I was given my laptop with a little sticky note, login details, sat down at the desk for half an hour, then was taken into a meeting, did HR did their thing of reading out their values, which were posters on the wall. And, and then I was sent back to my desk, onboarding done. Within That sounds pretty common, unfortunately. It's wild. It's wild. And I would liken it, especially as we move into the future of work, and there's so many companies that are shifting their their culture, not only the flexibility, but to really people first. I mean, there's there's ob- obviously a movement happening in the world of work. And one of the ways I'd liken it to, it's like you're going on a trip to a city you've never been before, and you don't know the language, you don't know the rituals, you don't know like that if you're going to Japan that Maybe it's important to bow when you say thank you or take your shoes off when you go into a room. Like there are cultural norms in a different country or a different city that you might go to. And unless you as the company define those cultural norms remotely and teach those through behaviors, through that onboarding process, the the disengagement that you're at risk for because the individual doesn't understand the environment and how to operate in it, it is a huge financial risk. Absolutely, absolutely. I know this. These norms are very much the same as any any culture, not just within organization. Yep. Culture absolutely. within within the world, within societies, is very much dependent on that. The way what norms we've got will will differ. Are there any norms that you? would say because with organizations yes then they're influenced by the country and the culture that they they are in and how they do their business but if they operate within the international market and they've got people from different worlds from sorry different countries all over the world then they might have a little bit more flexibility in kind of shaping the foundations of what they say are there any foundations the foundations and the kind of shared behaviors and shared norms and shared values that you would say they they really really should strongly consider having and building and developing you mentioned trust would be one of them are there any other ones that you would say people and organizations should have a closer look at yeah i mean i think trust is number one but i think that trust comes from building relationships so really focusing on cross-functional building of relationships based on shared interests based on shared values you don't have to be from the same physical culture 
to share a love for cooking or to share a love for integrity at work, right? Like there are a lot of different ways to do that. But I think, you know, if we're looking at basic human values, I'd say trust, integrity, accountability, growth. Growth is huge. So really kind of solidifying that psychological need for a growth mindset, always learning, always expanding. And if you can really shape your, you know, remote first culture from people from all over around who share this excitement for growth and expansion in the world of work and in the product you're working on and all of these things, you know, you're now able to solve problems with so many different people with so many different perspectives who all share the same subset of belief systems of how work should work. Do organizations need, do they need to have a head of remote, a director of remote experience to be able to do that? Is it a good to have? Is it it a must to kind of spearhead that with somebody really, truly devoted just to that rather than being added to somebody else's responsibilities list? I say absolutely. I have someone who's I'm someone who's been in that role. I have many colleagues who have been in that role as well for years. And I think when it gets added to someone else's plate, like a volunteer program, or it just gets added to somebody on HR's plate, it doesn't give the company it doesn't do the company justice of what they're really trying to do. And there's such intentionality, everything from labeling a Slack channel a certain way so it derives the behaviors you want to see in it to understanding, mapping the employee experience and what that looks like at every moment to updating documentation. I think it's a huge disservice not to have somebody in a cross-functional position who floats between whether it be the C-suite, people, design. That's really where I see it sits the most, but it's a highly cross-functional position where you're really observing and then reacting to behavioral observations. And without having somebody on the pulse of that, I think you're missing the opportunities of the nuances that pop up in your culture remotely. Mm. Yeah, because I was was actually going to ask that as a follow-up question is where should that person sit within the structure? Should it be somebody who's aligned or part of the, uh, the HR team, part of the ops team? But we've already kind of alluded to that, that it should be probably a standalone or a cross-functional. Because when I was thinking about that, is that it reminded me of that shift. I'm actually not sure when it happened, but probably within the last five to 10 years, when we started, we started seeing HR departments being rebranded as people and culture departments. Yep. Which I thought, oh, fantastic, right? This is this this is really good. This is where we should be going. But then I realized in a lot of organizations, it it's cosmetic. It's it's but 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 anything but people and culture. It's just simply a PR stint of changing from HR to people and culture. And I wondered whether kind of having somebody as head of remote wouldn't be something similar. But then I guess we're we're creating a new role here versus why HR we already had HR departments before. Well, and I think that it, people ops, HR is going through a worldwide rebrand right now. And, and thank the Lord for that. Like, <laughs> honestly, because I'm I'm a people person. I've been an HR person. And I've, you know, when people came to the fully remote company I was working at, you know, I'm sometimes in a wetsuit. I've got a backwards hat on. Like, I don't know. Sometimes I swear. And people be like, you are nothing like an HR person I've ever talked to before. And my response is always like, well, thank you. <laughs> but also like bummer that you feel that way and bummer that you've always felt that 
And the feedback that I've gotten from people is that they don't trust HR. They don't trust their people team because in the past, it was always the people who actually weren't creating an experience. They were just kind of putting the hammer down. And as HR goes through this people first transformation, and obviously not every HR department is doing this, but I will say we're going through a social transformation that is in lockstep with the future of work. And that is in lockstep with people being a incredibly strategic investment in your bottom line as a company. One of the descriptions and attitudes towards HR departments that I've heard a couple of times, it was people seeing HR department as the department that prevents or protects the organization from getting into legal trouble when it comes to human people matters, harassments and unfair dismissals, discrimination, racism, and things like that. But they just pay, play basically that, that legal function there, which is really really sad that's that's how it really is departments uh, that department's being seen and that's why i said very cynically that a lot of hr departments are rebranded to people and culture and they literally just change the label they've done nothing else that change that you've mentioned fantastic we're on that journey but still a lot of organizations are, are kind of doing it just in a cosmetic way i don't know where i, I don't think there's malice in that and i don't mean it to sound sure. judgmental i think it's more a question of how how do we manage this right how do we go through that transition to really truly rebrand our department not just that we change the name but we actually change what we stand for and how we operate we we focus on the values we focus on people we focus on culture and we build from there and i think it's such a behemoth of a topic and that's also one of the reasons why you and i have jobs as external consultants to help yeah. organizations that that is also an indicative as soon as i stop getting clients with requests like that i start to think that potentially i might be out of in a, in a good sense out of a job because they've managed to sort it that out yeah it's wild <laughs> it is indeed it is indeed it's wild it's not my favorite thing in the world, but I'm really happy that we're moving in a direction of, I think, a lot of progress and it's happening quickly. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's there's one thing that I'm I'm increasingly conflicted about when it comes to remote work, asynchronous work, hybrid work, and, and all of these topics is I'm the big fan of human connection and yep. Actually, truly feeling people's energy whilst being in the same room. And that's why I'm very skeptical of things like them, whatever it's called, uh, what Facebook and Meta are doing with Metaverse or whatever, whatever it's called, that virtual reality, artificial stuff. For me, I, I can't imagine myself that. I'm not saying I'm against it. I'm not saying I'm boycotting it. But for me, I just don't, we are pack animals basically at the end of the day as human beings and we thrive on feeling speak people and it's being in groups right and we can substitute some of that by the technology amazing technology that we've got potentially even including kind of things like the the, the metaverse but then i don't i can't see myself potentially go in that direction and future generations if they only go into that in that direction what does that mean for, for the society as a whole i guess Long-winded question is, how can we use these behavioral and shared behavioral norms that you've mentioned to build that genuine human connection? And does that involve and how much that does need to involve actually meeting in person, not just only being remote and using Zoom? Yeah, it's a great question. And I, as somebody who is a strong advocate for remote first work, I am also an advocate for intentionally designed offsites or onsites, however you want to say it. I think that there is a power in having 
built a remote first culture. People understand one another. They work cross-functionally. And then there's a re-energization, re I can't even pronounce that word, energy that happens when you do meet in person and you're like, oh, wow, you are real. The shoe isn't going to drop. Oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm working with all these amazing people. This has now kind of become even more of a reality, more energized to go back for the next six to eight months to work together remotely with my family, where I live, wherever that means, and coming together for those synchronous moments. And I think that that's so much about design, right? Like one of the things I've experienced, you know, I've, I've led five remote first onsite. I've plan them, I've organized them, and there are certain formulas about what works and what doesn't. And there would be, I would watch people who had experienced offsites in a much kind of office first corporate capacity for a long time. No fault to them. It's just what they're assimilated to. And they'd come in and they'd want to do content, 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 content all day. And that was exhausting. You can do content on Zoom. And so I really try to think, what are the things you cannot do on Zoom that's what you do when you're in person. You flip the switch and you actually have to intentionally design those moments of trust, those moments of truth. Those like when I choose a hotel, I will choose a hotel that literally forces people to run into one another by the way that the lobby is designed. Like I won't pick a place that has bungalows because people are, can go hide. And so there's there's every single moment that you need to now start thinking about is oh, we're going to pay to get our people together. All right, what are, how are we going to make our culture come alive in the space we're ha having them come together? So hopefully that's a long-winded winded answer, but hopefully that makes a little bit of sense. It's a long-winded answer to a very long-winded, complicated uh, yeah, a tangent complicated type of question. question. <laughs> so, you know, okay, it's 1-1. One, one. Um, no, not Damski, keeping score. But no, you're, you're right. We need that intentionality. I was, As you were answering that, I was I was laughing to myself because it's funny how, let's use the, the kind of the, the milestone for remote working the biggest kind of shift in that's obviously being the pandemic in 2020 how we've literally sent people home because we had to and we weren't able to to kind of be prepared for that so we just did everything that we did in the in the office and the, how we did things in the office we'd done it on zoom but the way the reason i was laughing is but what you said was basically we've now sort of evolved and developed quasi new better ways of doing things remotely and on zoom and what do we do when we have offsite we port it back from zoom how we do it now into offsite and i'm just kind of going you're yeah, absolutely right it's in it's insanity that we do it that way yeah and it, a lot of it again comes from not being assimilated to this new way of working it comes from habit it comes from a belief system of this is the way we've always done it i mean we've been doing this since the industrial revolution like and Back to the generational thing, and, and this is not just on millennials in any way, shape, or form. I think that we, but I can speak for myself that I have just been in way too many, pardon me, shitty work situations and just like shitty school situations. And through every unprecedented thing, climate change, there's so much that our generation is just kind of looking at. And we're like, it's got to be better than this. Like, so let's fix it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. <laughs> it doesn't seem that hard to like be nice to people and like create a genuinely good place to work. It doesn't mean it's not challenging. It doesn't mean that you you are going to have really hard times, but it does mean it, it could be more meaningful and more supportive.
You're right. And the, the, uh, the risk of going at another side tangent is something that I've been, for personal reasons, that we're kind of focusing on is that mindset that we've got that a good life, a happy life, both in kind of monetary, non-monetary monetary terms, means hard labor, difficulty and tasks. That's something that is grueling, right? When in reality, it, isn't, it is not we are entitled to that it might have been that way for previous generations depending again what country we're living in different circumstances yeah it might have been that case for them but it's no longer for us yes the last couple of years in the world for our generations where everybody involved have been particularly difficult and you have seen a lot of things happening condensed in just two and a bit years but then is what you said about it's actually requiring effort, right? So there's a difference between life being hard and difficult versus actually you need to exert some energy input work for something and to have some sweat put some effort in to creating that but that doesn't mean it has to be hard but it still requires input of energy and work and i think that's where a lot of people kind of give up on and kind of go oh no this is too hard i'm gonna i'm gonna go to another company which is by the way it's going to be interesting to see what happens in the next year or so with how hiring is going to go within organizations yeah i mean it's going to be wild to see what 2023 brings as well just financially and but i also think that there's you know what you're saying is it doesn't have to be hard and it was really interesting this is a little side tangent but i think it connects here i a good friend of my own owns a private aviation company and he took his the employees that could be remote remote the last two and a half years and he saved 22.5 percent on his he wow. saved 22.5%. Those are hard cost, hard numbers. And he gave me permission to share this. And seeing him as an older pilot who's been in the aviation industry that has operated a certain way for so long, start to say, I don't want to get behind my Gen Z pilot. I don't want to get behind any of these other private aviation companies. Like, I want to start doing this the right way now and the way that the next generations want me to do it because I want to stay relevant. Like, and I don't know why I kind of brought that up right there. It's just, oh, oh, this was the point. I asked on LinkedIn, I said, if I told you you could save 22.5% on transitioning your company to remote, what would you do with that saving? And every single founder that responded said they would hire more people. My question is, why don't you focus on hiring the right people? And that was a really interesting thing. I started to see this pattern of just hire more, hire more, hire more. And it's like, hold on. Do you really need to? Maybe. I don't know your business model. Maybe. But if you strategically hire for culture and skill set, I bet you you could probably half that number. Wow. A few avenues here. One is linked to what we said. We don't know what 2023 is going to bring in terms of because I've got a feeling that there's a bit of a cleanse going on at this moment in time, yeah. which was maybe not a cleanse, maybe a reset that that was needed. I think organizations, especially in the tech sector, have gone a little bit ahead of themselves in terms of the numbers of people and actually not having clarity what exactly people do. And now they're just kind of being forced to downsize and rethink all of that. This Don't get me wrong. I genuinely do feel for the people that are being let go. That are being made no, no doubt about that. It's just a question of, I would say, the responsibility on the organizations in the first place. They shouldn't have let this become that. But basically, in a, the bubble's bur bursting in a way. I think that's the analogy I'm using. It was being pumped, 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 and now it's about to burst. And in a way, it had to happen sooner or later. Whether this is 
sooner or later. I don't know. Time will tell. We'll, we'll know probably in the next two to three years at what stage, whether it was the right stage or was it too late already. But that's kind of that that reset. The other part of that, you said, I'm actually curious that founders said, oh, they would hire more people. My question is, would they really? I don't know. That's the cynical side of me. I don't, I don't know. And I, that's this. I posted this yesterday. So like, I, I want to keep asking questions. I actually want to dig in a little bit more here. Like, okay, this, that's a lot of savings. How do you want, do you want to reinvest, instead of hiring more, what about reinvesting it into your employees? What about creating an environment that's maybe a little leaner? I remember Matt Hasselbach, he's a pro football player, came to talk to our team once and I really took a takeaway from him. Take away from it, him, he just goes, do less better. Just do less better. It's, it's actually just about how you redesign it and how you design it in a way where people are really lined up on the field to deliver the moments of truth they need to be delivering for the company. And the more complicated you make that, the more it's going to cost you. A meme, you can, I guess you could call it that, that I've seen before has resurfaced twice or three times in the space <laughs> of a week in, in my feed somewhere about mental health. It's about organizations asking, what can we do about asking their employees, what can you do about mental health? And they say, well, you could hire more people. You could give me a pay rise. You can do this and this and that. And then the company replies with, how about yoga? And I'm kind of going, yeah. And the reason I'm, I'm bringing this up is because you said the founders would hire more people. And yeah, maybe that's the the the, the opportunity to do that. But then again, we're running at less risk of pumping that bubble up again of having too many exactly. people without having clarity of what's being done. But then you mentioned the other side that is also very important, especially these days, is reinvested back into your people, A, in their development, but probably more importantly at this moment in time where anxiety over finances is quite high, is yeah, just giving pay rises. You know, if you've got that money that you've signed, give everybody a pen bump, pay, pay bump or a bonus, a one-off, right? So it's not on your books. You've got that money, you've got it back. It's not something that you're going to have to deal with over regularly over the next 12 months, month, month after month after month. It will just a one-off payment. You know, everybody's going to be happy. So it's one one of these things that we definitely could be could be done. So I'm, I'm, I'm curious about that because I'm concerned that what's going to happen, the kind of the, the leaning out, the, the kind of the bubble bursting and people down, and organizations downsizing might lead to people already overworked getting even more overworked. Yeah. I mean, I think that there's nothing that's ever going to be better for people in the long run other than intrinsic motivation. Like I've watched so many people take pay cuts to work for a company that has a higher purpose or has a better sense of well-being and their mental health is supported, right? And I think that there is, yes, there is, value and I don't disagree with you at all there is value in ensuring that people's more than basic needs are taken care of financially but I also think that you know just giving people a bonus outside of here's a bonus that's tied to your work your work your work and your work and here's how it all fits together remotely to achieve this goal great. Can you be more strategic about these bonuses to help people see where they have line of sight, to help them see where they're actually impacting the company? Because I'm going to tell you right now, throwing money at me doesn't work. And throwing money at a lot of people doesn't work. But if you tell me how that money is, how I've made an impact of why I'm receiving that money and how my team has worked together to do it, then we're probably in going to be a better standing long-term relationship. Absolutely right. Money is often seen as a motivator, which I think I disagree with. In my opinion, money, money, salary is a demotivator. Because if you don't have it, 
you're not really motivated. If you miss your bonus target, you don't get money. You're annoyed. You're demotivated. And even if you do hit your target, if you do get your pay rise, but after three to six months, your expenses have increased and therefore you're back at square one because you're still short of money. So again, you're demotivated. That's how I often look at that. But as you said, if it's if it's tied in, so just giving people money, that doesn't it helps don't get me wrong especially yeah. as i said now but if you if you can link it to purpose and team goals the, the bonus structures especially for sales people that's that's another bone of contention that yeah. we could probably start another separate podcast in itself not just an episode i think it's a separate podcast but how bonuses are you know again based on and i often say this on, on this show based on principles from the 70s 80s and 90s that no longer serve us in this day and age that, that, as I said, that's a, that's a story for another time, I think. Yeah. I'd love to, if I can, squeeze out every bit of knowledge and experience out of you. You've already shared some amazing things, but if there was something that you could share with, with the listeners, your favorite practice that they could try for a week or two, a couple of months, depending, the, the timescale here is flexible, something that they could try to help their teams develop new behaviors, habits, and ways of working. To narrow it down, we can keep it, it's a very broad question, but we can keep it to kind of the remote setting if you want to narrow it down even further in terms of shared goals. But some they're kind of a specific activity or practice they could try. Absolutely. So this might sound so simple, but I will say I've seen a massive transformation by using just this one tactic. And I think really one of the biggest pieces in remote, no matter what culture you're from, is one of the things I hear most is that people feel a lot of guilt in like living their life working remotely. They feel like they can't step away from their computer. And it's cultural, but it's it's cultural in a lot of a lot of companies as well. And one of the most powerful things I think you can ask as a leader, so either ask it as a leader in your one-on-ones, or you could set up up as an auto question in your Slack or your Notion or what, whatever it is that you use as a virtual office. And the question is just this, what did you do for you today? Or what did you do for you this week? Allowing people just to kind of say, oh, wow, wait, hold on. I'm allowed to do something for myself. And I know it sounds really silly and I see you giggling over there. <laughs> I'm, I'm not giggling. I'm genuinely not giggling. I've, I've, I've genuinely, as when you said that, I've had this kind of fuzzy, warm feeling here in my chest. I genuinely yeah, did. I think I it's, 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 it's an amazing question. And actually, this is kind of, I, I contradict myself a little bit because although we're, Several times it was apart. It's the end of the day for me. It's the start of the day for for you. We we still I I felt that energy of what you said. So it yeah. is possible to have that connection, and I think it's an amazing practice. So thank you very much for for sharing that. I'll I'll, I'll definitely be passing that on to as many people as I can. How how did you come? How did you discover this? How did you come across it? I don't know. Tell me a little bit more. Yeah. So this is a practice we actually used at TaxJar. So the fully remote company I worked for, we had a lot of people in the company that were caretakers of, you know, an elderly family member or, you know, a lot of people are remote for a lot of different reasons. And sometimes that is familial and something that is actually really serious and, and it allows them to be with their loved ones as they're going through whatever it might be in life. And, you know, being not only working remotely, but also being a caretaker can be really hard on your soul and, and really hard mentally. And so we set up that auto question in the caretakers group of just what'd you do for you today? And just that sort of started to spread across all the other groups. And people were like, this is a really powerful question. It makes me feel like 
I can show up. I'm allowed to take care of myself. I don't just have to be a caretaker to, you know, allow myself to take care of myself. And yeah, just how do you kind of pull out that humanness when we're all dealing with so many different, I've used this before, we're all in the same storm, but we're all in really different lifeboats. And we get to choose how we support ourselves. And if we're even more supported by our team in that, the better and more connected we're going to be and the better work we're going to do. Fantastic story. Yeah, I love that analogy about the lifeboats. I heard a slightly different variations of that, but I like this one as well. And I think I don't want to take this any further. I think it's a, it's a nice <laughs> way to to close the conversation. But I'd, I'd also like to know what you've got going on in the next few months, because obviously you no longer working for a a one organization, if I'm fully aware. So what is what's going on in your world and what, yeah. what have you got planned? Absolutely. So working really in the remote culture realm at the moment, I am doing some individual kind of long-term consulting with a few tech companies at the moment, which is really exciting. I'm also have been asked by some people and feel free to reach out to me if this is you to kind of be ahead 1-800 remote. Sometimes people are going through this process and they don't feel like they can invest in a full-time employee and they really just need some coaching and understanding kind of the question that I just asked. How do we sort of think about kind of the humanness and the culture and, and bring your culture to life? So I also serve in a coaching capacity. And then if you want to go to my website, it's shiftwithdarcymarie.com. My friend Bo, who is a leadership consultant, he and I just put together a what's your culture worksheet, which gives you, there's a free download there, which gives you kind of an insight into reflect on if you had to write a letter to your friend about what the culture at your company is like. It's just to kind of bring out those feelings of like what you said, how do you feel in the virtual environment you're working in to just give you and your team a little bit better concept of what your culture is so you can help others be a part of it quicker and make sure they belong as soon as possible. I don't even know what to say to that. It's 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 it sounds great. It sounds we're in a similar line of work for sure. But I like the kind of the download that you've mentioned. I'll be including all the links for for people for people to access. And yes, yeah, so, so basically, you are your services are for hire. Basically, they are. Indeed. Okay. Excellent. <laughs> well, in that in that case, I think I definitely encourage people to to reach out to you. You everybody had kind of your experience, what you've got to offer, and I think it's been an amazing conversation. And a genuine, genuine thank you for 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 taking the time and and sharing your experiences, your knowledge, and that practice that I'll definitely be uh, spreading into the world as well. Thank you. It's been a blast. It's me again. Just one more thing before you take off. Head over to human.pm forward slash we got this. That's all one word where you can find this and previous episodes show notes, suggest a guest or topic, ask a question or join the community of other listeners. Until next time.